Oh, it's good to see y'all here this morning. I'm going to tackle a difficult subject. Why is there evil in the world? Every so often, I will bump into somebody who wants to start an argument, and they'll say the, the same old thing. If there is a God who is all-powerful, he can do anything, and if he is all-loving and he loves us beyond we can ask or think, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Why do people get sick? Why do people we love have to die? Why do, why do people we love suffer? Either God doesn't care, or if he does care, then he's powerless to do anything about it. That's their argument, and I hear it so often. But there's an answer, and I want us to look at it. It's going to come from two familiar passages, I hope, Romans 8 and Job. Romans 8 is Paul's explanation, and Job is an example of someone who experienced suffering and, did, and never lost faith. Romans 8, I'm going to read 28 through 39, I think. Romans 8, 28 through 39. And we know that in all things God works with him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is, it, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now I'm going to flip over to the Old Testament. It's the very last chapter of Job. The whole book of Job is about his sufferings and his friends who come and try to explain why these things are happening to him. And Job cries out to God. He, didn't, he never loses faith. He never loses trust. He never loses hope. But he does cry out, which you and I would do too. And God comes and reveals himself to him in, in chapter 40. And then in chapter 42, Job replies, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So even after all that Job had been through, when, he, when God revealed himself to him, Job realized who God was 
and who he was, and he repented. Let's bow together. Father, as we come to talk about evil, and it's Satan's hand in our world, help us to understand. And when we don't understand, help us to still trust you, still love you, to hang on to you, no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the word for this debate on why there is evil in the world, there's a 25 cent theological word. And the word is theodicy. Theodicy is the word that deals with suffering and evil and hardship in the world. Why do these things happen? If God is all loving and he loves us and he's all powerful, he can do anything. Why do bad things still happen to good people? A teenage girl gets diagnosed with cancer. And she says, why me? Why not some of the thugs out there on the streets that are selling drugs? I'm a, I'm a good girl. I've never done anything to harm anybody. Why me? Those are good questions. Good questions. And I don't have all the answers. But the scriptures point us to God. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. In Job 8, where Paul talks about suffering and how God redeems it. And in Job, where... Job experiences the, the most horrible kinds of suffering that you can imagine. We can learn from, from these two passages. First of all, in my sermon outline, real simple, I just want you to see that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. I want you to, to understand one fact, and that is that God did not create the world to be like this. God created the Garden of Eden. And there with Adam and Eve, everything was perfect. There was no sickness. There was no suffering. There was no death. There were no tragedies. There was no heartache. Everything was as God planned it, as he created it. It was perfect. And then what happened? Eve and Adam invited sin into the world, and our world fell. But don't blame Adam and Eve for the mess we're in, because you and I would have made the same prideful decisions, anytime we think that we know better than God, anything, anytime we think we can run things better than God, we make the same decisions that Adam and Eve made. So it's not their decisions that affect us, but it's our own. God created a perfect world. Sin came in. Evil came in. And everything changed. Not only that, but I want you to understand the, the impact that freedom has in our world. God did not make us robots. God did not create us puppets where he is up there pulling the strings and we do everything that he directs us to do. That's not how God operates. God created us to be free. And there's a good reason why he did so. Because he wanted us to choose to love him. And if humans aren't free to choose to love him, if we love him because we have to, then it's not real love, is it? If somebody has to love you, then they haven't chosen freely to do so, then that love is coerced, and that's not the kind of love that God wanted. And so he wanted love to be genuine. And for that to happen, you have to be free to choose not to love. So when you choose to love, he knows it's because you want to. Because God gave us freedom to live and to choose 
and to go throughout our lives. He desires fellowship with us and he desires us to choose to love him and to be in a relationship with him. But because of that freedom that God has placed in our world under which we operate, he rarely intervenes miraculously in the course of human events. If somebody jumps out of a 10-story building, he's not going to catch him in his hand before they hit the ground because the law of gravity dictates that something bad's going to happen. If a train is, is hurtling toward a car that's stalled on the tracks, he's not going to stop that train from, from hitting that car. He just doesn't do that. Sometimes miracles happen, and, and we pray and we hope believing that miracles can and do happen, but a lot of times they just don't. And God allows those laws to, to operate when a, when a hurricane hits Japan or, or Katrina hits New Orleans or um, some kind of disease affects children. God could, yes, he could intervene and just miraculously wave his hand and cure every one of them, but he doesn't do it often. And God doesn't play favorites either. You know, if he did, if he, if he gave us a velvet rose garden to live in, then people would become Christians and followers of his for the wrong reason. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to love him. And so in Matthew, it, it says that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Good things happen to good people and to bad people, and bad things happen to bad people and to good people. That's just the way it is. So why do innocent children suffer? It's because we, lived in a, we live in a world that God created, but sin has tainted. Sin has spoiled. And so often we push God, what I see happen so often in society is we push God over to the side and then something bad happens and we demand to know where's God when that happened when all the time we've been edging him further and further out of our lives, out of our world, out of our everyday acquaintances. So the question is, if you, have to, if you want a good question, here's a question, why do we even care? Why do we even care? You never hear anybody debate that question. And there's a good reason why we do care. Because God has given us a vision of what a perfect world could be like. God has implanted in us an idea where people are treated fairly and where justice prevails and where there is no, um, where, no, where no bad things ever happen to anybody. What's funny to me is that even a hardened criminal who makes his life stealing gets mad when somebody steals from him. Why is that? Because he knows that stealing is wrong. How does he know that stealing is even wrong? Because God in his conscience has told him it is wrong. And the only way you ever do wrong is that you figure out a way to rationalize what God has implanted in us. You figure out a way to circumvent it, to get around it so you can live with yourself. We have implanted in our minds and in our hearts an idea, a conception of a place where things are perfect. There is no sickness, no suffering, no injustice, no unfairness. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where everything is perfect. And Jesus came to bring that kingdom into our world. And we've been taught that when we follow him, that we can participate in that kingdom. And that kingdom 
is wherever God's rule is sovereign, wherever God's rule is, is taking place, and we can be in that kingdom, we can live in that kingdom, and one day it's going to come in fullness, either when God takes us to heaven to be with him or when Jesus comes again with the angels to bring his kingdom in fullness here on earth. So we care because we have a sense of right and wrong. So here's the question. How do we live knowing that this is a perfect world God created, that sin entered in and tainted and spoiled, and we care about it because we know there's something better, we know that there's something right, we know that there's something good that we desire because God implanted it in our souls. How do we live? God knew we would ask that question, and so he gave us the story of a man named Job. Satan has a conversation with God. And Satan says, is there anybody holy and just and blameless walking on the earth? And God said, yes, consider my servant Job. Satan looks at Job and says, you know what? I think Job loves you just because of all the blessings you've given him. I think Job loves you because you've given him family and, and wealth and possessions and life and, and health and everything. Satan says, I believe if you take all that away, he wouldn't love you anymore. And God says, you're wrong, Satan. He would. Satan says, in effect, prove it. And so in a matter of days, Job lost all his possessions, all his children. He lost his health. And he's just sitting there at a loss, desperate, suffering. And he has three so-called friends in the book of Job who come and the first thing they do is helpful. The first thing they do is they just sit with him for seven days and say nothing. Incidentally, when somebody's suffering, that's maybe the best thing you can do is just sit with them and not try to offer any explanations because when his three friends open their mouths after seven days, that's when they begin to mess up. They tried to explain to Job why these things were happening. Job, you sinned. That's why these bad things are happening to you. And Job said, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of anything I've done. They try to convince him, yes, you have done something or, or this would not have happened to you. It, would, it does not make sense. There has to be an explanation for why all this evil has beset you. Job refused to accept their explanations. And so you hear all these, all these words about the patience of Job. Well, let me tell you something. Job was not all that patient because for 35 chapters in his book, he complains and he whines and he says, oh God, why are you letting this happen? Same thing you and I would do. Why, why God, why are you letting this happen to me? About 35 chapters, but Job never rejects God. He never turns his back on him. He keeps arguing with him. He keeps wrestling with him. He keeps complaining, but he always is in conversation with God. He never rejects him. And then in chapter 40, God visits Job and lets Job see him in all of his power and glory, but he never gives an explanation. He just lets Job see him. And Job falls on his face in, verse, in chapter 42 and basically says, I repent in sackcloth and ashes that I ever dared to question you. Job saw God 
And it teaches us that if you know God is good and God is loving and that you are his beloved child, you can face the world and all of its tr troubles and trials and problems and still have a sense of peace and be okay. So there's some things I want you to learn from this lesson of Job. Real simply, how do we live? First, I want you to know that God is still God and God is still good all the time. No matter what is happening, God's still God and he is still good. He loves you and he wants the very best for you all the time. When Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer in the 16th century, when his son died, his wife started shouting at Martin and said, where was God when our son died? And Martin Luther replied, the same place he was when his own son died, watching and weeping and hurting with us. God is love. And it tells us at the end of Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from that love. It's there all the time for us. God is still God and God is still good. You've got to hang on to that no matter what. The second thing I want you to see is I want to stay close to him. One of Satan's favorite ploys when somebody is hurting is to whisper in their ear, God doesn't love you, reject him. And a lot of folks do, and they turn away from God. Satan says, if God really loved you, he could have prevented this. He would not have let this happen. Despise God. And a lot of people do. I guess what got me thinking about this several months ago, Catherine has a, a friend of a friend at Mercer who's an avowed atheist. And sometimes she'll read his Facebook posts. And uh, sadly, last year, this atheist's brother was killed in an auto accident. And he wrote on Facebook, he said, if there is a God, he'll have to ask my forgiveness. And Catherine read that to me, and I got chill bumps. I said, why does he blame God for his brother's death? He's not had God in his life. Was God, I mean, I, you know, I didn't reply openly, but... My first response was, was God driving the car? Did God make the car? You know, did, did the car fail? I don't know how the accident happened, but so often, you know, we don't think at all about God and then something bad happens and we want to shake our fist in defiance at him. Why does everything bad that happens have to be God's fault? Why does it have to be his fault? Do we give him credit when every good thing happens? No. But we sure are quick to blame him when something bad happens. And let me tell you, God is never the source of evil in our world. He's not. That's not he's not capable of hurting people. He chastises us. Yes, he disciplines us with a purpose to direct us toward him, but he is not, he's not mean. He's not out to hurt people. He doesn't. There was a great Methodist preacher in Atlanta named Pierce Harris. 
which I think it was First Methodist. And his wife was killed in an auto accident. And he had a, a, somebody in the church wrote him a note and said, I hope your terrible loss will not destroy your faith. And Reverend Harris, he did not write back immediately, but he thought, man, haven't I already lost enough without losing my faith too? Why would I want to cast aside the only thing that's even keeping me afloat now? And yet that is the first impulse of so many people because they listen to God. Uh, they listen to Satan. They don't listen to God. And Satan is saying, God could have prevented this. God could have stopped it. Despising, rejecting. All I can say is that when you're hurting, crawl up as close as you can into the lap of the one who said, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He'll be there for you. I want you to know that God is good and that when you're hurting, stay close to him, cry out to him, do what Job did if you have to, holler at him, scream at him, but don't turn your back on him. Continue talking, continue reading, continue praying and he will bring you through it, he will. And that's the final thing I want you to see, and it comes from Romans 8, 28. God can still bring something good out of the most horrible of circumstances. God can redeem the pain, and he can use it to help somebody else. Job had no idea how many generations would benefit from his story. He had no idea. Paul declared in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means even the most horrible, painful situation is redeemable by God because he's good. And if you stay close to him, he'll make something good. He'll bring something good. You might not see it right away, but eventually down the road, you'll be able to look back and say, I see now how you're using that, that most painful time in my life. Oh, and it's hard, but it was worth it. E. Stanley Jones became a missionary to India. And at the time of his conversion, he was working, I think, as a law clerk in a, library, a law library in a courtroom in Baltimore. And he went up and told his boss, that he had converted and he was going to be a missionary and his boss said, I'll get that kicked out of you pretty quick. And his boss over the next several months did everything he could possibly do to torment Stanley Jones into making him lose his faith. Just made his life as miserable as it possibly could. But the thing that happened was that E. Stanley Jones saw that as an opportunity to grow stronger. It just made him more resolute. It just made him even more firm in his faith, and he wrote back, he said, I would have never been able to face the challenges I faced in India if my resolve had not been steeled, had not been strengthened by my supervisor. He said it was like an airplane. I learned to take off into the wind instead of with it. And when facing opposition, I decided it would just make me rise higher instead of lower. And he he became a long-time, lifelong missionary in India.
because God can use the bad that's happening one day for good. Much of what I've said here today has been shaped by a little book I read in the seminary entitled The Will of God by Leslie Weatherhead. He wrote that book in 1944, and it's only about 50 pages long. But he talks about the will of God, the circumstantial, the intentional, the, the ultimate will of God and how those things are shaped and how they shape our lives. There's an interesting little analogy that he gives on page 30 of that book. He says, suppose that a bunch of, a bunch of babies, a bunch of toddlers get together for a convention. And, and suppose they can communicate with each other. And the first one stands up and he straightens his bib and he says, brothers and sisters, obviously our parents don't love us because if they did, my knees would not be red and scraped. Um, look at your knees. You're hurting too, aren't you? Our parents don't love us, do they? I would entertain a motion and a chubby little fellow in the back stands up and raises his hand and says, I make a motion that our parents do away with all hard surfaces, do away with all corners on furniture, do away with anything that could possibly harm us. Oh, and, and take all the claws out of the paws of cats too. Anything that could harm us. You see what they're saying? Children have no, and then, you know, parents might be able to come and try to convince them that what they're doing is in their best interest, but the children aren't gonna listen. They're not gonna believe. The point he's making is how much those children are to their parents, how much like that are we to God? We think we know best. And if God loved us, obviously he wouldn't make hard surfaces for us to fall on or um, corners on furniture for us to bump into or animals with claws that can scratch us. And God may try to explain things to us, but... It's like, it's like a parent trying to explain things to a baby even more so because our minds, our concepts, our thoughts are not his thoughts by any stretch of the imagination. And so there are things that happen that we just will not understand. And so until then, we have to trust what we don't understand and what we don't know about God based on what we do know. And what we do know through Jesus Christ is that God is good and God is loving all the time. And he wants what's best for us. And like a baby, we might not understand what our parents are doing when they discipline us, when they turn us and point us in the right direction, when, when we're hurt. But we know our parents love us. And so does God. Let's bow together. God, our heart breaks when we see a hurricane hit the coastline of a city and people suffer when we visit the hospital and, and see children taking chemo when an innocent family is hit by a drunk driver and lives are lost. 
And we don't know everything and we don't understand everything. But we know this much. We know that you are good all the time. And we know that you love us with an amazing, all-encompassing, overwhelming kind of love. And based on what we do know about you, we can trust you and what we don't. And so help us to remain faithful and to remain strong and to remain true and not turn our back on you. But when suffering, when hurting, to cry out, to ask why, to turn to you and crawl up into your lap and let you hold us and share the burden that we might be carrying. Thank you, God, for putting up with stubborn, spiteful children such as we. We love you, and we want to declare that this day in Jesus' name. Amen.